Now, two weeks ago, we were in Acts 27. We finished that up, and we, we left Paul and Luke uh, swimming to shore on pieces of wood from their ship that had broken apart on the reef off the island of Malta. And Luke concluded Acts 27 by saying that all 276 people survived this shipwreck and made it safely to shore. I think that most of us would feel like we had it pretty rough if we were clutching on to a broken piece of wood in the midst of a stormy sea, uh, desperately trying to make it to shore. But sometimes that's how God, God's work in your life feels. It can feel like a pretty rough ride at times, but we make it to shore. Uh, we, we have a hard battle with some weakness or sickness, but we recover. Uh, we experience some really tough things in, a, in relationships, maybe in a very important relationship, but we survive. Uh, we, we often feel like we're dangling over a cliff, but somehow we come through it all. Someone has said that a Christian is someone who is living on the edge of disaster, but in the middle of a miracle. And that's, that's really how we go through life. It's seeming like, seemingly going from disaster to disaster, sometimes feeling like we're in the middle of a disaster, but yet also always in the middle of a miracle, always in the work, the middle of a work of God. Psalm uh, sixty-eight twenty says, God is to us a God of deliverances. And, you know, I hope you can say that. God, God is to me. That's how, that, this is how I know God. <laughs> God is to me, God is to us, a God of deliverances. And to God the Lord belong escapes, multiple escapes from death. So in other words, we we face the dangers of life repeatedly, even serious dangers, and yet the Lord enables us to escape time after time. Multiple escapes, because that is who he is. He is a God of deliverances. You know, Paul and Luke and all that were with them, they went through the storm. Their ship broke apart, and they were all cast into the sea. I mean, nothing at that moment seemed safe or secure. And yet, Luke says, God got them all safely to land. And maybe, for some here at least, maybe you feel like, that's a picture of what's going on in some area of your life. Maybe you feel like you have only a scrap of wood that's keeping you afloat. Maybe you feel like you are just barely keeping afloat. And that doesn't mean that God has deserted you. Uh, It doesn't mean that he's through with you. In fact, it might be the very way that he is answering your prayers or the way that he is fulfilling his word to you. So like Paul and Luke, you, you, just, you just hold on to that scrap of wood and trust God to get you to shore. You just hold on to whatever, whatever little might seem left in your life and you trust God and he will get you to shore. He will get you to where he wants you to go. He will get you where he wants you for his kingdom and for his glory. So we, can, we pick up the story here in Acts 28.1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper 
driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. But verse 5, but Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. I believe there is a spiritual lesson here. Uh, Shaking things off is an important part of dealing with life. Shaking things off is an important part of dealing with the devil. Shaking things off is an important part of dealing with the devil's attacks. It is a great weapon in dealing with many things that look like they will ruin us. You know, when that snake attached itself to Paul's hand, he did not cave in to to complaint or despair. He He did not say, well, I sure didn't need this. After all we've been through, I didn't need this to happen. Paul did not say, man, I just can't deal with this. It's too stressful. He did not say, after all I've done for Jesus and this is what I get, No, it says he shook the snake off his hand with seemingly little concern and had no ill effects. You know, in some sense, our problems are not our problem. Our real problem is how much we let our problems attach themselves to us. Our our, our problem isn't even the size of the problem. We can let little problems attach themselves to us that will actually, that will poison us just like that viper and can can ruin us and fill our lives with anxiety and fear and self-pity and all kinds of other things. So it's not the size of the problem. It's not the kind of problem. It's it's really how much we let our problems attach themselves to us. And it is amazing how even little problems attach themselves to us. And inject us with venom of, of fear and worry and anxiety. And just by way of confession, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I I ran our boat over the lift as I was pulling it in and and bent the prop on it. And uh, well, Cindy lowered it. She lowered the thing too low and I didn't realize it was that low and so I, I ran it's, it has a stop on it and I just ran it right over that and the prop went, clunk, 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 clunk. and then when I backed the boat up clunk, 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 clunk. and anyway and then I, it, it's kind of a big deal to, 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 to get it fixed and I can't go into all of that but I was just but it was just amazing how much that little tiny problem wanted to attach itself to my brain and to my mind and to and to get me upset because I couldn't get it fixed, and the the marina wouldn't come to to, to do it very responsively, and and if, if it's not supposed to drive your boat too much with it, or it can ruin things and so forth. But just little things like that, that have no no big consequence even can can attach themselves to our mind. And when things happen to us, like little or big, we can say, "Oh my, this is terrible." It's all over for me. I'm ruined. I'll never get over this. Or, man, this is going to scar me forever. Or, or we can shake it off. And Peter said to cast your anxieties or cast your cares or your burdens upon the Lord. And that word cast means to throw off. I mean, it's kind of like, an, in another way of putting it, it's kind of like 
shake it off. It's throw it off, cast your cares onto the Lord. In fact, some of the contemporary versions, translations say, throw your worries upon the Lord. I mean, it's just, it's, it's like you, you, you just don't allow that stuff to hang around. You, 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 you take it and you throw it upon the Lord. You cast it to the Lord. Hebrews 12, 1 in the NIV says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So, I mean, we're supposed to throw off sin. That's the way we, that's the way we deal with anger and, and, and uh, rage and unfor- unforgiving thoughts and all kinds of stuff. We just, we, we're to throw it off, the Bible says. Throw off the worries of everyday life, the problems, the setbacks. And this, this throwing off or shaking off of things is a key way that we are able to run our race. And many times we shake things off because they're really not that big of a deal. I mean, we, we're great at making mountains out of molehill, molehills. I saw this cartoon in the, in, the, in the paper that had these two moles, and then right before him was this gigantic mountain. And uh, they said, uh, the two moles were talking to each other, and they said, well, wow, we, we just started to make a molehill, and it turned into this. Well, that, that's what we do with, with, our, with our problems. We magnify our problems beyond all proportion, and then we feel so persecuted, so sorry for ourselves, and so depressed, But Paul has this poisonous snake hanging off his hand, and his reaction is, just shake it off. But also we shake things off because no matter what happens, we have a special protection in the Lord. And in a very profound sense, things really can't hurt us. That's what David meant when he said, the Lord is my strength and my salvation, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though a war break out against me, even then I will be confident. It has this sense that he's walking in such, such amazing protection of God. Jesus told his disciples, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure, injure you. There is a very profound sense in which that is true and we're to believe that. I mean, you can live your life believing everything will injure you or you can live your life believing Jesus that nothing shall injure you. You can live in fear for your personal safety, fear for your family, fear about finances or fear of what the devil may do to you or you can believe and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I fear nothing and I lack nothing. And no matter what happens in life, everything that really matters is still yours. And it's, I mean, it's, it's given to you by, by covenant, by, by promise. It's, it's ordained for you. Uh, everything that matters is still yours. And it's interesting that right after this verse where, where Jesus said, nothing shall injure you, you know, he, he said, well, but nevertheless, don't rejoice about this. Rejoice that your name is written down in heaven. It's like, it means like nothing, nothing shall injure you. And besides that, here's something to really get excited about, that your name is, is still written down in heaven no matter what. And so no matter, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're dealing with, your name is still written down in heaven. You still have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit 
God is still for you. Your future is full of unbelievable, unexpressible glory, kindness, and joy. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can stop his goodness and mercy pursuing you every single day of your life. Nothing and nobody can ruin your life. Very profound sense, as Jesus said, nothing shall harm you. And then in verse 4, we see the response of the islanders to the snake bite. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. So they expected him to swell up and fall dead. But when he didn't, they changed their opinion and they began to say, He is a god. You know, often people say we are worse than we are or better than we are. Often people say we are less than we are or more than we are. And we should never be overly affected by the talk of other people. We should never be overly affected by slander or praise. In fact, Paul said, this is one way that we demonstrate that we are servants of God. We, we commend ourselves as servants of God or, or we, show, we show that we are true servants of God through glory and dishonor, through slander and through praise. We continue to serve God through whatever people say and we don't follow the roller coaster of what people say. And this doesn't mean we don't listen to correction or get honest help from others, but we are totally secure in what the Lord thinks and says. And in the end, we know that his evaluation is what matters. And we ultimately make our concern to please just him. Paul had a lot of severe critics at Corinth and he wrote to them and he, and he, and he said this. And, and honestly, for for many of us, this would be a, a great passage or verse to memorize. Paul, Paul wrote to the, his critics at Corinth, It is a very small thing for me to be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even examine myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not vindicate me. It is the Lord who examines me. Therefore, stop judging prematurely. Before the Lord comes. For he will bring to light what is now hidden in darkness and reveal the motives of our hearts. Then each person will receive his praise from God. That's 1 Corinthians 4 3 to 5. So I want to ask you a probing question Is it to you, is it a very small thing what others are saying about you or, or may have said? about you. And if you're still stewing over things that somebody said to you or other people said to you years ago, or even if you tend to be overly affected by others' opinions and statements, I'd encourage you to med- memorize and meditate on this on this passage. I mean, it'll 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 set you free because it's it's truth. Jesus said the truth will set you free. Then Luke moves on to tell how God used Paul on this island. Verse 7, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us into his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. 
His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and, and after prayer, he placed his hands on him and healed him. According to tradition, this isn't in the Bible, but according to Christian tradition, Publius converted to Christ. It's not mentioned in this passage, but tradition, Christian tradition says that Publius converted to Christ and became a leader or head of the church on the island of Malta. And then after leading that church for 31 years, he went to Athens in 90 A.D., where he was martyred for Christ in 125 A.D. So we see... Uh, how out of all this this mess, the storm, the shipwreck, floating on these broken up pieces of lumber in the Mediterranean Sea and, and seemingly barely, barely escaping with their lives and just seeming by chance to land on the island of Malta, we see how God was at work. God used this stop at Malta. He used the shipwreck and them ending up on this island at Malta for the advancement of the gospel for the advancement of his kingdom. So no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, expect God to open doors of opportunity for you. No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, expect God to open doors for you to serve others in his name and especially to pray for them. You know, God's work, you know, if, if the Christian tradition is true uh, that Publius became head of this church and that many were c- converted to Christ in this, on this island and this became a, a, a center, a hub, really, of, of Christian activity, all of that came about on this island largely by Paul praying for Publius's sick far- father. I mean, God's work on this island was initiated. The foundation of it, the beginning of it was simply by him going and praying for this guy's sick father. If you don't know what else to do for people, pray for them. And if you don't feel like you have any other ministry that you can do, go pray for people. And, and go to people right where they are and, and pray personally for them where possible. Paul did not say to Publius, hey, uh, tell your dad our prayers and thoughts are with him. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But what did Paul do? He went, he went into his room. He went into his father's room. He went, he went right to him, went into his room, knelt down by his bed. He prayed for him. He placed his hands on him and healed him. And, of course, God answers prayers for people from a distance, too. But there's something right and especially effective about prayer with a person, personally with them, and even touching that person, laying hands on them. It communicates our love for them, and it communicates the love and the nearness and the touch of God. And then we see that it is biblical to place your hands on people when you pray for them. You don't always have to do that. I mean, that would be some kind of setting up a uh, legalistic rule. You don't always have to do that, of course. But it is, a, it is biblical, and it's, it was part of the New Testament practice in praying for people. Hebrews 6.1 says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward 
to maturity. Okay, well, what are those elementary teachings that we should already know about and should be ready to move on from there to maturity? Well, one of them is baptism, one of them is repentance, and faith toward God, teaching about the resurrection. But you know what the other one is? Laying on of hands. <laughs> In other words, laying on of hands is not some advanced or mysterious form of Christianity. It's a foundational teaching. Placing hands on people was, was part of the early church culture, culture and practice. It was part of their, their teaching of something they, they, they taught about. Uh, David Mathis of Desiring God has a really good article on this entitled uh, The Laying on of Hands, A Precious and Misunderstood Means of Grace Today. He calls it a tangible physical expression of what is happening invisibly. It is a means through which the grace of God flows to a person. It is not superstitious. It is simply believing that we really are instruments through whom God works to bless and heal and strengthen others. And I'm going to spend just a little bit of time on this this morning because I want us to have a biblical understanding for why we do this or maybe to encourage some of you to do this if you haven't done it or don't do it. Let's start with Jesus. Luke 4.40, Jesus places his hands on sick people. Well, all throughout the New Testament, but Luke 4.40 says, When the sun was setting... The people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. In Mark 10, 13, Jesus blessed little children by laying his hands on them. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. That's Mark 10, 13. Parents who obviously believed in Jesus wanted him to touch their children to receive a blessing. Mark 10:16 says, "And he and Jesus took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them." Fathers in the Old Testament placed their hands on their children's head and imparted spiritual blessing to them. And there's a very interesting story where Joseph brought his sons to his father Jacob or Israel to bless them. And he put his hands on their heads to bless them. But what did he do? He crossed, he crossed his hands and pronounced the blessing. And Joseph said, no, no, no. The, the, I, the blessing that went to this one went to this one, you know, vice versa. Joseph thought he should have, the individual blessings that his, his, his father gave uh, should have gone to the other son. And I don't want to get into that too much. But it shows how the Old Testament saints believed this laying on of hands and blessing had real effects in their children's lives. I mean, it, it wasn't like uh, Joseph said, well, I don't care if he crossed his hands. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's just sort of a uh, meaningless spiritual <laughs> ritual. No, they, they really believed that, that those, those blessings had impact. So it's no wonder that parents, when Jesus came, It's no wonder that parents wanted to bring their little children to Jesus and have him bless them. They they viewed that as being real, that that it really meant something. And so they brought little children to Jesus to bless them. Charles Spurgeon said that there was a time 
when he was 10 years old that a traveling preacher stayed at his grandfather's house. And for three days in a row, this preacher spent time with him, telling him of Christ's love. And, and he spent some time each of these three days uh, laying his hands on Charles. And actually, Charles Spurgeon said he, he wrapped his arms around my neck and he prayed that I might know and serve the Lord. And then one morning when the whole family was gathered for prayer, this preacher took 10-year-old Charles, sat him on his knee, and prophesied, this child will one day preach the gospel, and he will preach it to great multitudes. I am persuaded that he will preach in the chapel of Roland Hill. Well, years later, that prophecy was fulfilled, and Spurgeon wrote, did the words of Mr. Nill help bring about their fulfillment? I think so. I believe them, and I look forward to the time when I should preach the word. In Acts 13, the Holy Spirit said to the church in Antioch, send Paul and Barnabas out to the work to which I have called them. Then, right after that, it says, what did the church do? They, well, they fasted and they prayed, and it says they laid their hands on them. The, the whole church put their hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out. When men were appointed to Uh, serve the church in Acts 6, it says they laid their hands on them and prayed. It's in 1 Timothy 4.14, it says, Timothy received his spiritual gift through a time of prayer and laying on of hands by a group of elders. Uh, When Ananias came to Paul in Acts 9, he, he laid his hands on him for Paul to be able to see again and to receive the Holy Spirit. And, of course, there's, there's multiple times throughout the book of Acts where people receive the Holy Spirit through the apostles praying for them and laying their hands on them. And then Mark 6.18, Jesus said, Those who believe will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. So we, we, lay, we, we lay our hands on, on people uh, because of the example of Old Testament saints, uh, because of the example of Christ, because of the example of the Apostles, because of the examples of the early church, because of the example of ordinary believers like Ananias, and because Christ said we would lay our hands on the sick. And so we understand, again, it's nothing magical or superstitious about this, but placing our hands on someone along with prayer is a means that God used to impart blessing, healing, perhaps spiritual gifts, a greater work of the Spirit, um, sending people out in ministry. And, and probably some more that I've missed. Well, in verse 8, it says that Paul laid his hands on Publius' father. He prayed and laid his hands on his father, and he was healed. And, and James encourages us all to pray for one another so that you may be healed. And he said, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then verse 9 says, When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. You know, the healing of one person often leads to the healing of more people. Healing of one person often stirs up others to come for healing. And one of the reasons that I think is really important to share testimonies of healing or about other things that God does in your life, is that it, it stirs up or stimulates the faith of others who, 
who may need faith for the very thing that you just gave your testimony about that God worked in your life. It stirs up the faith of others and so often leads them to come to God in faith for their needs. I finished a a book that I I really enjoyed. It was uh, Gary Wilkerson wrote a biography about his dad, David Wilkerson. And one of the stories about David Wilkerson in this, and he was at a, he was at a crusade somewhere in South America. And after he had called people to repentance and faith in Christ at the, at the end of his service, he, he had, he had led them in a prayer of, of faith and repentance. And he, he had just said as a, as a sign of, and he was speaking through an interpreter and he said, as a sign of your newfound faith in Christ, he said, I want you to look up and smile. Well, there's this one, one man right in the front who was just continued to look down with a look of depression and sadness. And so David said to him again through the interpreter, look up and smile. And the man said, I have nothing to smile about. I was born blind. And David's son, Gary, said, with, with what I can only describe as a righteous indignation came upon his dad, David Wilkerson, and he said to the interpreter, Interpreter, you tell him to lift his head and smile. The interpreter told him that, and as the young man lifted his head, suddenly he began to yell and scream, I can see, I can see. God does, God does do wonders. He really does. And, and, and shame on us if we ever get to the point where we stop believing that. Well, Paul did much good uh, on this island of Malta and healing their sick and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And then I find verse 10, the very last verse of our passage, very interesting. And it says, these island people, they blessed them. Uh, Paul and Luke and these others when they left. Verse 10, it says, they honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with all the supplies we needed. And it, and it just reminded me of, of what Jesus said, give and it will be given unto you. And not only just give and it will be given to you, but you, you, you give, you pour out your life, and Jesus said, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be like these blessings that are pressed down, shaken together, running over. I don't know the exact quote, but it's like, it's like man, you're going to get so much blessing, you're not, not even going to be able to handle it. And another verse that's very similar to that, from Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 58, don't know the exact verse, but it says, if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will become like the middle of the day. And one of the ways that, that, we, one of the ways that we give ourselves to people is by going to them and praying for them and praying with them. Well, that's the end of my message, but we're not quite done yet. And so, you know, what I, what I would like to do right now is just put this into practice. And so anybody, that, anybody here this morning that any way feels, feels sick or weak or worn out or have some, some maybe disease or phenomena, headaches or whatever that you've been struggling with for a long time, 
And I'm not making you do this, but if you would like prayer, just I want you to just stand up right now. Just do that. Just stand up right now if you'd like healing, uh, help, encouragement for any kind of sickness or...